0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This is the last episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast for this year, and what a year it has been. We've had a heap of different developments across the year, and uh, this week I thought, look, to ease us into the holidays, we'll just do the usual roundup of security fixes and a couple announcements as well. And perhaps we'll leave the year wrap-up until next year, so we can kind of look back on the whole year isn't it, in its entirety because you never know what will happen over the holiday break but you know fingers crossed hope they haven't jinx things. So diving into the usual uh, security fixes roundup, it updates for a number of packages across 57 unique CVEs and the first package updated was curl, there were two CVEs here addressed for 20.04, 22.04, uh, 23.04 and 23.10. In this case uh, the most interesting issue was around uh, mishandling of cookies from domains with mixed case it allowed an attacker to create a so-called super cookie that would then get passed back to more domains than what is usually allowed. Uh, So a site then could set a cookie, which is then sent to unrelated or to different sites, You can imagine that could then be used for different kind of tracking purposes and the like, uh, or potentially to leak information. Uh, It depends on a feature called the public suffix list, which is a community initiative that's actually led by Mozilla to provide an accurate list of all the domain name suffixes. And so you might think, oh, that just corresponds to all the top level domains like .com and .org. But there are other suffixes like .co.uk, which isn't obviously a top-level domain, uh, that is its own suffix and that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say want a cookie that is set for uh, foo.co.uk to go to every other .co.uk domain, but that is exactly what would happen in this case. Um, you know there isn't a good algorithmic way of determining the highest level at which a domain may be registered for a particular top-level domain, because each registrar is different. Um, so as I say, you know in this case you could create these super cookies, and the way you would do it is you would say the domain for the cookie is say .co.uk, but you would use capital letters for the UK, and then you would then set that cookie uh, in a you know with your domain of say foo.co.uk, and uh, then because that didn't directly match with all the other .co co.uk given a, a case sensitive string match that would then mean it would get sent then to all of the other um, UK domains contrary to uh, to your expectations based on that public suffix list and you would then have as i say this super cookie in that case if that was fixed uh, to instead just do a much more simpler um, case insensitive string match in that case but yeah it does show i guess the um, intricacies of doing these sorts of things Um, After that was an update for OpenVM tools for a couple of our older releases, so for Ubuntu releases 16.04 and 18.04, um, both available now through expanded security maintenance as part of Ubuntu Pro. The more interesting one here was a SAML token signature bypass which would allow an attacker who already has guest uh, operation privileges within a guest VM to elevate their privileges if the VM had been assigned a more privileged guest alias. Uh, there was also a file descriptor hijack vulnerability that they described as um, within uh, the VMware user SUID wrapper. Uh, in that case a local user with non-root privileges that's able to hijack uh, the dev you input file descriptor there would be able to simulate uh, user inputs to that and potentially get command execution directly uh, within that privileged component. Uh, so a um, privilege escalation vulnerability there. PostgreSQL was updated for three CVEs in Ubuntu releases 20.04, 22.04, 23.04, and 23.10. Um, In this case, we're upgrading to the latest uh, upstream point releases. So that does include both security and bug fixes. Uh, So for the more recent releases, so 23.10 and 23.04, you've got version 15.5 there. Uh, There's version 14.10 for Ubuntu 22.04 LTS users and 12.17 for 20.04 LTS users. After that was an update for Python cryptography. Uh, Two CVEs addressed here uh, for, uh, or again, all the uh, stable releases. So Ubuntu releases 2004, 22.04 LTS respectively, 23.04 and 23.10. Uh, I thought the most interesting one here was a null pointer reference or possible seg fault uh, that could be triggered on loading of crafted PKCS7 certificates and I guess what I found most interesting about that is the fact that it's a null pointer reference which is the kind of thing we see in C code not in Python code but in this case it actually is C code under the hood that is doing uh, all that parsing and the like so yeah even though this is a Python package it does use C code to do some of the heavy lifting and yeah that is where the vulnerability was in this case. After that, Blue Z was updated for a single vulnerability. Uh, this is uh, all, and it goes all the way back to Ubuntu 6.04 and all the releases since. Um, in this case, whilst you had um, Bluetooth discoverable, it was possible for an attacker to pair a, a human input device uh, and inject keystrokes without any intervention. In this case, Bluetooth is discoverable on an Ubuntu machine when you've got the Bluetooth settings panel open, say in uh, Gnome settings or similar. And this was fixed by just changing uh, configuration value in um, BlueZ that sets now classic bonded only as true, whereas previously that was false. Um, That configuration option was introduced for a previous very similar vulnerability, uh, but it wasn't turned on by default because it was uh, deemed that that might break various um, devices and the like. And yeah, we have turned that on by default now to fix this other vulnerability. And I guess it mitigates the first one as well, but um, it has already broken some particular legacy devices. So, in particular um, PS3 controllers were broken by this. Um, in that case, you know, if you are using a device like that and you still want it to work, obviously, uh, you just need to go and change that classic bonded-only setting in uh, etsy-bluetooth-input.conf and set that back to false. But obviously beware that once you do that, then anytime uh, Bluetooth is discoverable on your machine, you're potentially vulnerable to this attack, which you know, probably isn't too often. There's not many times people open up the Bluetooth settings panel and uh, you know, want to pair some new device. But yeah, be aware that that then is the case. So if you do turn that back off, but yeah, you are a bit safer now that we've turned that back on. We had an update after that for uh, the GNU C library, libc. Uh, again, all the way back to Ubuntu 16.04 ESM and those since. Again, the most interesting one here was a fix for a previous CVE, 2023 4806 uh, was not sufficient. In that case, it was a use after free in get address info, which is a very common system call for looking up uh, the IP address for a given domain name. Uh, in that case, you know it was still possible to trigger that use after free uh, under certain circumstances. So yeah, an additional fix was rolled into there for libc. Uh, free RDP for our users in Ubuntu 18.04 was updated for a bunch of vulnerabilities that I talked about back in episode 215. Tiny XML was updated uh, for some of our older releases due to an infinite loop that was able to be triggered by a crafted XML document, and that would lead to a CPU based denial of service. Tar was updated um, for a single vulnerability, uh, in this case a stack buffer overflow when parsing a tar archive with an extremely large extended attribute uh, name or value. So extended attributes are ways of setting, I guess arbitrary kind of metadata on files in the file system. And uh, the PAX archive format within TAR allows you to store these inside. So then you can, you know, uh, I guess, create an archive that contains all those attributes. And then when you extract it, you still get those retained with the files and they're use for doing things like storing um, security labels for SE Linux amongst other things and other sorts of things as well. Um, within the kernels VFS layer though, they are limited to only 255 bytes for the name and 64K for the value. And those values aren't actually large enough to trigger this vulnerability but within tar itself you can basically store arbitrary long um, values for these and what would happen is when processing the archive tar would then go and allocate space to store those attributes on the stack but the stack is limited uh, in general to a maximum memory of about eight megs on Linux. And so if you can specify an extended attribute that's a larger than eight megs, you can overflow the entire stack memory region. Uh, that then gives you a very similar vulnerability as to what we saw a few years ago called, um, that was called system down within systemd. And at that point, that's what I guess um, triggered us in Ubuntu to enable things like stack clash protection. So now that we've enabled that, what happens is that uh, it turns this from say, being able to overflow, not just the stack, but then into guard pages and then finally into the heap. That's actually able to be detected um, at runtime and therefore just turned into a denial of service. Um, and you can actually see that you can run say hardening check Uh, it's a pell script that's in the archive uh, against say the tar binary and it will tell you all the different you know security properties of that including the fact that it does have stack clash protection in more recent Ubuntu releases basically anything since Ubuntu 19.10 um, has that on so yeah all of the uh, stable releases now do have that enabled uh, now, uh, of this vulnerability, and this is one that I actually patched myself so I can talk a bit more about it I know a bit more about this one. Um, speaking from experience, it's not easy to create such an archive, um, to create a proof of concept for this. Uh, it certainly took me a good few hours, uh, it's pro- mostly because I'm not super familiar with the internals of the TAR format. Um, you know it's not easy to do this Uh, you could you know label a file on disk with an extended attribute try to tar that up as I said but you know they are limited in at the VFS layer of being only a small size so you can't trigger it through that there is a command line option to tar to specify arbitrary attributes to be set on files when you tar them up but you then hit things like uh, the limit for the maximum length of command line arguments when you do that so it's not able to create one through there But instead, uh, what is kind of cool about the TAR format, at least that I found in this case, is that uh, all of the various attributes that need to be modified here are stored as strings within uh, the TAR archive. And so you can create, say, a small proof of concept that has an extended attribute that isn't large enough to trigger this, but then you can go and fix that up. You know, you can replace that in the archive with something much longer. In this case, I chose to do that using sed. And uh, then there's some other metadata that you need to then fix up, obviously including lengths and things of certain fields afterwards and again all of those are thankfully stored as strings as well uh, they are encoded as uh, octal which is sort of weird but anyway um, so you know you calculate these lengths you fix up all the other strings within there again i use said to do that and yeah you can actually create your own proof of concept uh, to do that uh, i'm not going to include direct details in here but uh, you know they are floating around um, so yeah that was um, you know a good useful exercise you know, obviously it's always good to try to create proof of concepts when we are patching vulnerabilities to make sure obviously that you know even if we've taken a fixed directly. From upstream that it does do what we think it does and you know in this case i was able to verify that it did all that which is kind of cool but yeah good to kind of diversion into uh you know different tooling to create these sorts of things um and yeah the fix for this actually was quite simple in the end instead of allocating these values on the stack which go and use um, malloc to allocate them on the heap and the heap doesn't have the same arbitrary fixed size limit that the stack does I mean eventually you do run out of memory on the heap but then you know you just get uh, your usual failure as a result of that it's much more um, easily able to be detected rather than you know memory corruption as what happened in this case. so yeah an interesting one there for tar. Uh, what else? We had Squid updated for a couple of vulnerabilities for our uh, releases that are still supported under Ubuntu Pro. Uh, I talked about those vulnerabilities uh, back in last week's episode. Uh, Binu Tools was updated for 5CVEs, again, for some of our older releases. So that's 14.04, uh, available under ESM, and 20.04 LTS and 22.04 LTS. In this case, various binaries within Binutils weren't doing uh, bounds checking properly in various places, leading to things like heap buffer overflows, out-of-bounds reads, and the like. Uh, you're able to trigger these through binaries like objjump and the rest of them. And they were all fixed. Webkit GTK was updated after that for a couple of recent CVEs. Both of these come from the upstream WebKit project maintained by Apple. Uh, in their advisories, they always say "You know, Apple iOS or whatever was affected by this, and so it's not always easy to know that um, you know, the WebKit GTK project is also affected, but it was in this case. The first of these was just an out-of-bounds read that could lead to an info leak. But the second was a memory corruption that apple did say in their advisory was being uh in the wild against various versions of ios and other uh, apple operating systems so yeah good to see that one being fixed there by the upstream webkit gtk developers libra offers was updated then for a couple CVEs for our more recent releases uh one of these i thought was quite interesting uh, which was sort of arbitrary code execution through um crafted file names and documents so under the hood, LibreOffice uses the GStreamer framework to play embedded videos, and I'm going to guess that's within um, presentation files and the like, you know, it's not too common you'd to have a video embedded in a uh, LibreOffice write document, but anyway, to do that video playing, it creates a GStreamer pipeline under the hood uh, that includes the file name of the video, and that wasn't being adequately uh, escaped which then could mean uh, if you can inject things like shell meta characters and the like, you could get possible code execution as a result um, through that crafted file name. Uh, The other one of these was a vulnerability that was similar to a historic one for LibreOffice, where link targets would allow arbitrary script execution. Basically, when you click on a particular link, you you could get something similar to cross-site scripting, but from within the document, obviously not across a website. Uh, And that, yeah, you can hear more about that one back in episode 198. Python was updated for a single CVE in our 2304 release. Uh, This one was specific to Python 3.11. That's why no other releases uh, were affected by this. In this case, if a path uh, contained an embedded null byte and then you pass that to the os.path.normpath function uh, within the os.path module, it would then get truncated at the null byte, Uh, obviously then uh, modifying that uh, unexpectedly previous versions of python wouldn't do that so that was fixed to remove this behavior because obviously that could then have possible security consequences postfix admin uh, was updated uh, for three different cves various issues here uh, within their different embedded modules so it embeds a copy of smarty and a copy of moment js in those cases uh, you had possible uh, arbitrary code execution as well as uh, a cross-site scripting and a denial of service issue that were all fixed script was updated uh, for use after free uh, for three of our more recent releases. Uh, Netatalk, the uh, Apple filing protocol service, was updated for a vulnerability. In this case, uh, Netatalk is very similar, or the Apple filing protocol is very similar to SMB for Windows. It allows your Ubuntu machine to share files with Mac OS. And it also implements support for searching via Spotlight. So if you're familiar with that, it's very similar to uh, like the Tracker indexing system on Linux. It allows you to search across all your documents in uh, macOS. And so, yeah, by Netatalk implementing support for that, that means you can then search for these uh, across these remote shares as well. And speaking of Tracker, it actually uses Tracker under the hood on Linux to do all of the indexing and metadata store and search engine. Um, But it wasn't an issue in Tracker, it was actually an issue directly in uh, Netatalk itself. Um, It would parse the uh, RPC packets coming from Spotlight and it failed to do proper type checking on those. That then resulted in a type confusion bug and possible remote code execution through memory corruption as a result of that. Uh, And it's similar to uh, a CVE that we saw just recently for Samba um, because the code in Netatalk actually originated from that same code in Samba, which is, yeah, I guess not surprising. that if you do share code, you probably share vulnerabilities. Uh, So, yeah, that has been fixed there for Netatalk. Only a couple more to go through here. We've got an update for GNOME settings uh, for a single CVE here that only affects Ubuntu. Um, In this case, this was uh, backported all the way to Ubuntu 2004 LTS and the releases since. Now Gnome settings allows you the ability to turn on and off remote SSH access directly from you know, the GUI. You just go to uh, settings and then sharing and then you can turn on and off remote SSH access if you've got um, open SSH server installed. Now since uh, Ubuntu moved to using socket activated uh, SSHD in Ubuntu 20.10, Gnome settings unfortunately was never updated to support that as well. So Gnome settings would be checking whether the OpenSSH service was running and active. And if it was, then it would tell you you were remotely accessible. But now that we've moved to socket activated uh, service, uh, that then means it is never running, even though you may actually have the socket um, part of that active managed by systemd, and you may actually be accessible over the network. So uh, that would mean it would always show that you were not accessible, even though maybe you were. As I say, it was an Ubuntu specific issue because we never updated uh, this part of code in GNOME settings when we updated the overall system to use um, socket activated SSH. Uh, It was fixed by extending Gnome settings to check both uh, the traditional OpenSSH service plus OpenSSH socket instances in SystemD, because it's still a legitimate configuration that you could use to, say, disable socket activation and instead switch back to the previous service uh, module. And actually, um, that socket module has been supported uh, as a standard configuration all the way back since some of our earlier releases. So that's why we've backported this as well to the releases before um, 2210 because you could have manually configured that yourself. So we wanna make sure that even if you have configured that, that uh, Gnome settings is doing the right thing there and able to accurately reflect that state as well. So yeah, that was fixed for Gnome settings. And then uh, we had an update for Pydantic, which is the Python data validation library. In this case, there was a CPU based denial of service. If you pass the value of infinity, to the validator to be passed as a date or a date time that will result in an infinite loop, which I think is kind of uh, you know maybe fitting actually in that you know you're parsing infinity and it's taking infinity time to do that. Uh, and then uh, the last thing we had was a bunch of kernel updates. So as always, the kernel team has been busy backporting all of the different uh, kernel vulnerability fixes to all of the different supported uh, Ubuntu kernels. So if you're running Ubuntu on um, probably any release, you've probably got a kernel update that you should go and install. Uh, Yeah, lots of vulnerabilities to go through here so I won't dig into the details but yeah definitely make sure you are installing your kernel updates if you've got them and rebooting to go back into them when is convenient and that is it for the week in security updates and the year in security updates all right so just a couple other things I wanted to mention in uh, this last podcast episode for uh, 2023 the Ubuntu 2304 Lunar Lobster release is approaching its end of life. Uh, An announcement went out about that just overnight. Uh, This is the previous interim release of Ubuntu, and the interim releases receive nine months of support. It was released back in April of this year, and so nine months on from that is uh, end of January next year. So it reaches its end of life on the 25th of January. That means, you know, give or take Christmas, you've got basically a month of support left on that one. So it is a good opportunity over the holiday break if you have some time to upgrade your machine to the next interim release, which is 2310, the Mantic Minotaur that came out uh, just a couple of months ago. Uh, Yeah, we've got um, details on that in the show notes if you want to take a look. But yeah, if you are still running Luna, I urge you to upgrade. Uh, And the other thing to mention is that uh, the Ubuntu security team and actually pretty much all of Canonical are going on break for the next couple of weeks till early January in 2024. During that time, though, various members of the team will be checking in each day to look for any kind of burning security issues and make sure that, you know, we're not missing anything. We are not planning to do any security updates during that time unless obviously something major happens. And I guess I'm reminded of Log4Shell that came out right at the end of the year. Um, that yeah made a lot of work for the team over the break, particularly uh, I think for Paolo on our team who fixed that one. Thanks again, Paolo, for uh, jumping in and doing that over the holidays. So yeah, we're all hoping that nothing like that happens again this time. But if it does, we will uh, make sure that you know we address it and get on top of it. If you see anything that you know really worries you security-wise, make sure you contact us as always and we'll try to get in touch. And if you do want to contact us, hey, you can do it in the usual means. You can always email the team at security at You can maybe find us in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network, or you can hit us up on Mastodon. We are at Ubuntu Security at fosteron.org on there as well. All right. So yeah, thanks everyone for joining us for the year in the Able Security podcast. It's been great doing this all for you uh, for 2023. I'll be back with you all next year. The podcast will probably be back uh, late January, I expect. Um, maybe early February. Uh, we'll see. You know, I'll leave it as a bit of a surprise. But yeah, we will be back and we will be doing it all again for you next year. Until then, remember, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Happy holidays, everyone. Cheers. Bye.